Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. I am so excited to say that today we are joined by Jasmine Garnsworthy. She is a freelance writer and editor, and most notably the founder of The Buff, a new skincare brand. Welcome, Jasmine. Thank you. Hi. We're so excited to have you here. Um, Our listeners are incredibly curious about the paths and journeys of executives in the beauty industry and not the like PR shiny, everything's fine, everything's great version that we hear so often, (laughs) but like the the reality, the honest truth. Uh, And you certainly have an interesting story to tell. I'm so excited for you to share it with our listeners. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Well, um, Jasmine and I met recently, and um, what I learned about her is that she um, is entering the world of beauty entrepreneurship after being a beauty expert herself as a freelance writer and editor. And Jasmine, I think it would be so interesting for you to tell us um, why you wanted to launch a brand. Yes. I mean... I made the move to um, becoming a freelance writer and editor after working full-time um, for various publications for years. And so, I don't know, it felt like quite a natural fit. Once I'd kind of scratched that entrepreneurial itch, I wanted to take it further with also launching my own company. Um, I also had a really amazing experience with moving to all-natural skincare, um, specifically beauty oils. Uh, I had really bad acne breakouts about a year and a half ago. I don't know if anyone knows about New York acne, but it's it's an actual thing that does happen. Um, and I tried all the normal things, and it is, honestly. I tried all the normal things to try and cure it. Um, I was about to go on um, Accutane, and I went and saw a, a, a medicinal herbalist, and she kind of said, you know what, just like clean up your diet, clean up your beauty routine, um, go all natural, and just see what happens before you do something that drastic. So I did, and within weeks, I just saw a huge difference in my skin. Um, so I just thought this is something that I wanted to share, and I, I was like, I bet I can, I bet I can build a really great business out of this. So I launched the Buff, and now we focus on customized beauty oils, um, and we also have a line that we're starting to retail as well. So let's talk about walking into the world of owning a business where you have products and fulfillment and distribution and, uh, you know, web sales. Um, because before as a freelance writer, right, you, there's no overhead, you know, it's just you wow. and a computer and, and a phone. Mm-hmm. Um, what was going through your mind when you were making the decision to actually do this uh, when it comes to like the lifestyle change and the, the finances required to start a product company? Yeah. I mean, I, um, it is obviously a little bit daunting, but I think that I started really small. I started with one product, um, the customized beauty oil, um, so that the investment wasn't as huge. I taught myself how to build a website. I, um, studied a diploma in organic skincare formulation so that I could do all the, uh, testing and the, and the product formulation myself and just go to a lab for kind of like the final step. I um, bought a like a professional label printer at home so that I could do all that myself as well rather than having, you know, trying to meet minimum order quantities and that kind of thing. I think I realized pretty early on that it would be totally prohibitive if I, if I didn't learn how to do that stuff myself. So it was, um, yeah, it was just about kind of like seeing what the problems were, what was going to, you know, be too expensive, 
um, too hard and kind of learning how to just do it myself, a lot of it. So were you allowing the freelance writing to sort of pay the bill for the stuff, right? Going, the, the education, the label maker, right? right? The lab. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you kept your day job, right, doing this? Yeah. I mean, I still try and write a little bit. It's just, it's something that I love to do, but it's on, you know, I used to write four or five stories a day and I might now just write a couple of weeks kind of thing just to continue mm-hmm. doing it. But when I first started, it was definitely just digging into savings um, and, you know, paying for it with, with my other job. I love that you found solutions around the um, the challenges, right? Like finding mm-hmm. the label maker at home that can give you that customization. And, mm-hmm. you know, you know how powerful and incredible customization is. Like, you know, customers love it. Influencers love it. Editors love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I love that you looked for solutions outside of the obvious. Um, were there any um, big things that you couldn't find, like a a reasonable solution for in the beginning? Um, I mean, everything took time. I I remember the first the first round of um, labels that I printed. I just I had this like normal printer, and it was a disaster. And I remember we spent hours and hours and hours trying to get it to work, and and then just realizing that you know, a $200 printer from Staples wasn't going to cut it. We needed a $4,000 Primera <laughs> professional printer. Um, and, but I just had no idea, you know, and it's, it's all trial and error. And, um, and I mean, I do think there's a solution to everything. It's just some are more easy to find than others, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, for the listeners out there who are, early stage entrepreneurs like yourself or even those mm-hmm. who are thinking like I'm ready to quit my day job as a lawyer or you know something else and yeah. start a beauty company. Um, walk us through what a, a day in your life is. Um, like w- what are you doing? How do you do it? Um, and until yeah. what crazy hours in the morning are you doing it? Until? Sure. So it, like, it does differ a lot um, depending on what I have going on, but we, our customers are pretty well split across Australia. I'm Australian, I'm Australian myself and, um, and the U.S. So we get a lot of inquiries and orders that come in overnight. So when I wake up, it's pretty early in the morning. Um, I probably sit down to start working around 7. I'll go through and the first thing I do is check those customer inquiries that come through overnight, kind of answer all of those, um, see if there are any, you know, see if there are any issues that need to be actioned straight away. And then I might, if I've got any writing to do that day, I'll probably do that next. Um, and then, honestly, the rest of the day is a mix of working from my lab in Brooklyn and, and blending oils and mixing the products um, to, to actually fulfilling the orders, packing the boxes, shipping them out. I mean, it it looks glamorous on Instagram, but so much of it, honestly, is just just the grind of actually producing the product packing orders, responding to emails, and then um, and then at night kind of, you know, I have a, a, someone helping me with PR now as well, so kind of responding to her and strategizing with her about how we can get the word out, that kind of more interesting fun stuff is is definitely after hours, kind of later in the evening. So, we're, yeah, it depends. I mean, my boyfriend is super supportive. He helps me a lot. Um, we work until like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. He'll come home from... His job, he is chief label officer. He does a lot of the customization <laughs> and the printing himself and is super helpful um, and completely unpaid, so bless him. 
But, um, yeah, so it, it does differ every day, but it is purely producing products, um, kind of like hustling on any marketing opportunities that come out and um, responding to customers. How do you um, deal with the, looking at the competition? Do you feel like you're constantly studying what other skincare and specifically oil brands are doing, or are yeah. you able to kind of block it out? I mean, it's impossible not to. I, I am still on a lot of press lists. I still write about beauty a lot. So I find out about product launches literally the second they happen. I have an email in my inbox. So it's, it is hard to stay in your own lane and, and focus on what you're doing now. Um, it's easy to have a million ideas of new products that we want to bring out, new things that we have to do. But I think right now the focus is on just nailing what we have um, and like focusing on distribution of what we currently have. It it definitely is hard not to not to get distracted by what everyone else is doing, for sure. Uh, so on the topic of developing a brand from scratch, I've talked with a lot of people through the years, and some of them are uh, like you. They're you know doing it bootstrap, you know, just whatever money they have, investing what they can, spending you know a lot of time doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So others are. Um, they're not going to do anything until they have that investment from, you know, external money. Um, yeah. Why did you choose the bootstrap path? Um, I, I guess I just didn't really see it as, as an option. I wanted, to, I wanted to do something myself. I wanted to do it now. I don't know a lot about raising money, and I just saw that as a distraction from what I feel to be the kind of primary purpose of what I'm doing, which is making an amazing product and getting it to as many people as possible. Um, and then I thought, you know, raising money before I even know whether there's a desire for the product at all. This didn't make sense to me. I know that it's definitely worked, you know, for other companies in the past, but um, we definitely just wanted to make sure that the desire is there. And now, you know, the the profits from the business are kind of fueling its own growth. So at the moment, it doesn't seem like we're going to need external investment anytime soon, which is really, I think, which is great. It gives you also 100% yeah. ownership of the business. So, yeah, That's if you don't awesome. have to, Congratulations. I Yeah. Thank you. So, um, there's two things I want to talk about. One, which is like, what are the moments that make you just want to break down and cry and be like, why am I doing this? Um, and then two, um, the success that you've actually had with PR. So let's start with the stuff that's yeah. hard. Um, or maybe it's not even mm-hmm. like hard. It's just like you're just having a day, you know, one of those days. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the kind of things that just build up, um, like pile up on your shoulders that make you just feel like you've had enough and you hit a breaking point? I think it's just when you're, um, you know, I don't have a team at the moment. I have a couple of people helping me every now and then. I have someone in Australia who's part time, um, my boyfriend who is very supportive, but it's very, it's, it's, the days I'm by I'm myself all day, you know, I'm in my own company. I'm trying to solve all the problems myself. And I guess not really having a business partner and not having a team yet where I can necessarily bounce ideas. So that like, that does get difficult sometimes. Um, but again, I'm kind of learning how to overcome that by just, I'm not the only person in the world who started a business, but so it's just reaching out to other people and, and kind of, you know, building a, a network of support. Um, in terms of like, what was the, what was the rest of the question? Like, what what drives you to that that moment when you feel like you just want to break down and cry? Uh, the moment I want to break down and cry will be when it's it's funny because it's also um, 
it's also a great thing. But I guess when there's just like a lot of orders to get through, uh, and I know that it's, I've got, you know, at 2 a.m. finish and I, and I have been up since 6, that kind of thing, that'll make you break down and cry. But I think probably worse than that is um, a slow week, which I think anyone who starts right. the business <laughs> Like there is absolutely, as, as hard as it is, you know, working late and putting in those hard yards, the worst thing is um, when you have a quiet week and you think, you think it's all going down the drain. <laughs> right. It's like you, um, you can't live with it. You can't live without it, right? You want that business so much, but then it's terrifying actually to have all that work. Um, yeah. It's definitely yeah. something um, that requires um, like a new mindset to move through, right? When you're so overwhelmed with everything that you ever wanted, it's happening right now, yeah. but you're exhausted. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So what, um, you know, being as you work by yourself primarily every day, um, alone, um, what are some of the things that you do to like get yourself out of your chair? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, as a, like, as an entrepreneur myself, I work from home quite a bit. My team is mostly virtual. So I could just like get into my home office at 9am and like not get out of my seat, you know, except to grab something to eat until six which I don't think is really good. Um, So I feel like sometimes force myself to like get up and like go into town and get something to eat or run to Trader Joe's and just do something, something not work. Um, How do you, but it requires like a lot of work. Like actually talk to myself in my head, like it's really nice time for me to get out of my seat. Um, How do you get yourself out of your seat? You know, like how do you do it? Like what do you tell yourself? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I mean, I try and, like, meet up with people for coffee as much as possible. So, like, I have um, a couple of friends in town from Australia right now. Both of them are business owners. I, while they're here, I'm going to try and meet up with them as much as I can. We can talk about business or we can just hang out. I think if I've got someone to hold me accountable to, you're supposed to be here at 3 o'clock for half an hour, I'm much more likely to be there and do it. Um, right. And also, if you know, if there are events, I try and get to as much as possible. Um like conferences, that kind of thing. There's a founder made event coming up, which is going to be awesome. Um, so I've locked myself into doing stuff like that. Uh, I think it's just about finding, you know, interesting things to do and committing yourself to it in advance. There are definitely days when I, when I don't leave the house and then, you know, my partner com- comes home from work and I realize I haven't seen another person all day. Um, <laughs> so I'm definitely, I'm very much still in it, you know, like I'm, I'm still working out the solutions to all these things. Um, yeah. This definitely can be tricky. I like it when, like, um, my husband comes home. He's like something about says something about the weather. I'm like, I would, (laughs) I wouldn't know. I I never went outside. (laughs) (laughs) I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's let's switch gears and talk about the success you've had with PR because you know Uh you're a brand new brand, right? You launched just January of this year, right? So this is the fifth month of the year. So you've been in business for like literally four months. Um, Yeah four months in one day. Um, but you've really gotten like a crazy amount of press for such a, a small young brand in such a short amount of time. And no doubt mm-hmm. it had a lot to do with the fact that you probably know the, know the right people based on your freelance right. work. But um, right. walk our listeners through your strategy for how to approach this, because this is kind of like the low hanging fruit for all new brands, right? Yeah. How do I get my product yeah. in front of people who write about products? Um, uh-huh. so walk us through what you've been doing and what's, what's been really successful for you and what hasn't worked yeah. so well. Yeah, sure. I think, um, the, what I, what's really worked is being really specific about the editor that you're pitching. Um, so I make sure that I really thoroughly 
research somebody. I know what they've recently written about. I'll go in their direct email address, like never email editor at vote.com. You know, no one checks those inboxes. Um, but making sure that I get, you know, the right contacts, know a lot about them and can really tailor a specific pitch to them. Um, I think the branding also really helps. You know, I can feel confident that I know that my my brand's imagery and our aesthetic will suit the mag- the publishers that I'm pitching um, because I think that visually it needs to be really appealing as well. Um, and then if somebody does respond, it's making sure that I get samples in their hand as soon as possible so that they can see that the product does work, um, they can see that the quality of the oil is great, that it's cold-pressed, that it's unrefined, um, and so just getting it in their hand as soon as possible, making sure samples go out immediately. Um, things that haven't worked, it's actually really interesting to see which, uh, edit, like what editorial mentions perform in terms of sales and what don't. And definitely any coverage that kind of talks about my story and how why I started the brand and, and the story behind it um, definitely seems to really spike sales, whereas just a simple mention in a product roundup doesn't really do that much, which I think is really interesting. Um, yeah, so that's definitely something to be mindful of. It's just really sharing the why behind the brand, why it works, why you started it, I think is really important. So you're saying that when uh, the coverage talks about your New York City acne and the struggles and, mm-hmm. you know, potentially mm-hmm. going on medication for it and then taking yeah. a break and trying something new, that story is really relatable to the reader? Yes, definitely. That seems to um, really resonate with people. But I would think that it's actually kind of hard for a brand to get their story out, right? Like, it's much easier for you to be in, in a roundup, right? Like, you know, it, yeah. you shade the lipstick we love, right? And never to talk yeah. about, like, what the lipstick's made out of or the founder story or anything. So mm-hmm. um, how, how can a brand as young as yours get that story to be front and center um, in the coverage that they are, they're hoping to get? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was... Um, It was just about pitching the right editor, being really honest about my story. I have before and after pictures of my skin, which I think were really helpful as well. Um, We created a uh, an e-guide as well that kind of walks through like the very specifics of how the product works, um, that kind of thing. So that it's really evidence based. Like my story is really backed up with, is well documented. Um, So I think that helps as well. But and then it just comes down to sometimes it just comes down to and luck that your story resonates with the editor that you pitch to and that they, they want to write about it. Yeah. Right. So um, for the people who are not as savvy in this space as you, since you were on the inside, um, you know, you, you sort of start on the inside track of like how mm-hmm. editors um, and writers think. Um, do you do brands that are founded by, you know, maybe a, a former attorney who turns into a product developer does she need to be intimidated by the process of reaching out to editors? Is this something yeah. that anybody can do? Yes, definitely. I mean, it always helps to have a, um, if you can afford it, it does help to have a PR person because they'll, they'll often have an existing relationship with an editor. So um, a lot of the editors that I was that I have been pitching, I have a pre-existing relationship with them. So I know my email is going to be opened, but you can buy that with a publicist. They have a pre-existing relationship. They know that the email is going to be opened and responded to. So even if you know, even if you don't get coverage immediately, you know that the that the editor is going to be familiar with your brand because they've opened the email, they've seen the pitch. Um, but in saying that, 
you know, as long as you send a tailored email, you get the right contact. Like editors get hundreds of emails a day. You definitely shouldn't feel intimidated about adding yours in there. Just make sure that you've got kind of a compelling story, great imagery, and I would definitely say go for it. Hmm. So, um, you know, it makes me think about, um, you know, how unusual it is for a small brand to get a ton of coverage. Um, and I think a lot of small brands are sort of focusing their time on Facebook or Instagram or what, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, you know, something social, yeah. um, because there's, they have a little bit more control over it. They don't obviously yeah. control it over if someone's going to actually convert to, um, a customer, but they have control over the messaging. Um, do you see still a ton of value in, the old fashioned mechanism of an editor or a writer being interested in the product, writing about it, publishing it, and um, the the brand benefiting from that versus, um, you know, just focusing on, on social? Yeah, I do. I mean, we have, especially when you're an early brand, I think it lends a lot of legitimacy to the brand as well. We've um, working with a really big retailer at the moment on an exclusive line and like that can't be announced just now but it's gonna be super exciting and that came from them seeing us on um refinery 29 and so that Mm. kind of thing you know and and buyers are scouring those kind of websites to see what's new i really do think that it's it's definitely worth investing in in that space for sure i mean and that doesn't that doesn't mean that social media isn't worth investing in we definitely do um in like micro influencer gifting we're not paying someone with 100,000 followers to write a post about it. But if, you know, if we're looking through Instagram and I see someone who has a really great feed, it looks on brand with what we're going for, um, they have a few thousand followers, I'll reach out to them and offer them gifting and in replacement, in, you know, for a post about it. And most of the time they say yes. And it, it definitely, A, it gives us great content to share and B, it um, directs more traffic to the website. You know, that's another topic that I think a lot of young brands um, aren't sure how to handle, right? This idea Mm -hmm. of like, can can I play in the influencer space? You know, I don't have a million dollars. What do I do? Um, And I think sometimes they just don't do anything because they don't don't know what to do because it's so overwhelming. And all you hear about is like stories of, um, you know, everything is pay to play and Mm -hmm. um, they don't have the money for it. So let's talk about the micro-influencer strategy. can you define that for um, our listeners and um, give us a sense yeah. of uh, why it works? Yeah. And I mean, how we've been approaching it is um, I don't have budget. We definitely don't have budget to be paying someone um, $1,000 for an Instagram post at the moment, even just to test it. It's, it's just not where we're spending. Um, so, but I still wanted to have a presence on social media. I know it's really important. Um, and also, it was a really affordable way to generate content for our own feed. So basically I just spent a lot of time searching through, looking for people that just that feel on brand, who take great photos, who are clearly interested in beauty and wellness, um, and who look like they're influencers within their kind of um, social network, um, whether that's specific to beauty or in kind of like more of a more of a broad sense. And then I just reach out to them and explain what we do, ask if they use beauty oils, but they like fun customized. Um, and honestly, I've never, no one's ever said no. They're really excited mm-hmm. to be part of it. Um, and it's a really, and all that does is it costs the 
the cost of the product and shipping. Great. And then how do you um, track any sort of feedback or success? Um, yeah. Do you follow I mean, up with Instagram, them all? Yeah. So I, um, you can, a great way to track whether a, um, whether an influence, because obviously you can't track specific campaigns on Instagram if it's just gifting, um, gifting a micro-influencer. But what you can do is give somebody a, a unique discount code, which will also um, encourage people, obviously, to click their own shop on your site. Um, but it also allows you to track how many people have used that code, which means they were referred by that specific influencer, so you can see whether it's been, you know, worth it or not. And has that been um, fruitful for you? Yeah, definitely. It's, def- it's something that we're really ramping up at the moment. Um, after testing it over the last couple of months, it's going to be a, a more of a priority for sure. So, you know, um, as a last thought, um, what what are you looking for in the future? I mean, obviously the brand is for four months young, but let's say mm-hmm. in a year from now, um, mm-hmm. what goals are you working towards? Mm-hmm. Uh, what um, do you have your sights set on? Yeah, I mean, at the moment we're focusing really hard on distribution and finding really clever ways to um, allow women to customize natural beauty products. Um, so that's through... Uh, innovating, innovative new products, um, different sort of digital features on the website and that kind of thing. So hopefully within a year's time, we'll have a much more robust bricks and mortar presence with the brand um, and also a really solid um, product lineup as well. Well, Jasmine, um, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your experience with our listeners. I'm sure there's so many people taking (laughs) detailed notes today. Um, as they listen to this and um, get to take advantage of all your learnings. This has been really interesting. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.